Wilson, good to see you again. Hope the Lux Ballet worked out. How was the experience? It was super quick and smooth. Felt like I had a personal ballet service. Awesome, let's get started on some fish sauce. Wait, I can't function without some good food in me first. Same, I'm getting hangry, but there aren't many food choices walking distance from here. So I heard of this great service called Caviar, which is an on-demand food delivery service from some of the top restaurants in San Francisco. Down, can we get some Vietnamese food with, what's that special sauce called again? Um, you mean fish sauce? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Never thought you asked. Sweet. So I just got an exclusive code for our fish sauce listeners for $5 off a $20 order. Down. The exclusive code is CAVPOD5. That's C-A-V-P-O-D-5. Mmm, can't wait! What's up guys? Elton and I are back in action. We have special guest Jason Wang, co-founder CEO of Caviar. It's an on-demand food delivery service. I actually stalked Jason quite a few times after the acquisition. I thought he'd be perfect for the podcast because we have food, tech, entrepreneurship. So hopefully you enjoy the show. You started in finance when you graduated from college and you joined YC at some point. We'd love to hear more about that story entering that program. So right when I graduated, I did get a job in banking. So I did that for nine months and quickly transitioned out of banking into I worked at Google on the Google checkout, which turned into Google Wallet. Did that for nine months. And during my time there, that was when I started thinking about startups and going out on my own. One of my co-founders, he used to work at EA Games in Redwood City, and he would come down every day for dinner because <laughs> we had free dinners at Google. And so every night we were just chatting for an entire summer. What if we went out and did our own company? What could we do? And we knew nothing about entrepreneurship or starting a business. We were just 23 years old at the time. But we wanted to do something because we were kind of tired of working for a big company. So we gathered a team together. A lot of our team came from Cal. And we knew each other from being in the same fraternity on campus. It just so happened to be an Asian American fraternity as well. So we all worked together in the past and we knew each other. So the team dynamic was great. We saw that Groupon was really taking off. This was 2000, end of 2010, early 2011. And we thought of an idea to build a Groupon for food and specifically dishes at restaurants. So we came up with a company and applied to YC. And I think a week before the application was due, we launched the service on the Berkeley campus. I remember our, our first week, we got 3,000 users. For us, that wow. was pretty amazing. In our first week, we gave out a free taco on campus. Students just love deals and free stuff. So we were able to get 3,000 users. YC kind of saw the traction initially, and we got an interview. So we went in, sat down with the partners 10 minutes later, and then we find out in a few hours that we got into the, the summer 2011 program. On the one day? All in one day. You find out same day. At what moment do you feel like it was the right moment to take a leap of faith and kind of go all in? So not all of us went all in at the same time. One of us had to be first, right? So that was going to be me. Like, I took the leap of faith, saved up some money, was going to maybe spend six to nine months and see where it, where it went. And the catalyst was if we got into YC, then all of us would pursue it 100%. And fortunately enough, like 
we were able to get in. What did you tell your parents when you said, hey, I'm going to quit my job at Google and I'm actually going to pursue something that may or may not work out and try to convince my friends to do so too? Yeah, so my parents have traditionally been very unsupportive of entrepreneurship because they, they wanted me to have a stable career. Like they wanted me to be an accountant for, for, a long, for the longest time. But then they saw that my cousin, my cousin was the first entrepreneur in our family. He built a fantasy sports app, became number one in the app store for iPhone. And then he sold his company to Yahoo. And they kind of saw his success. He took a leap of faith because he was working at a defense contractor. So then they kind of opened it up, the idea of entrepreneurship. And I actually worked on something with my dad, and that was a Craigslist app for Windows Phone. My dad was like working every day on building an app, and we're kind of working together on it. And we kind of saw that, you know, aside from taking a traditional path, you can blaze your own. So Did you keep time, your parents in the loop as you were kind of thinking throughout this process and working on, on yeah, the business? All the time. Like they yeah. gave input all the really? time. And okay. They told us, like, you should do this and that. So they were pretty excited. Yeah, the eventually they were pretty excited. They were fully supportive, especially when we got in the Y Combinator. Were you currently working at Google when you were applying to Y Combinator, or did you already quit? Already quit. By the time I, I quit, it was about three months before we got into YC. Personally, I'm really curious. I wish I was in the room when you're pitching. What, what kind of story did you tell and your founders tell that convinced the panel to say, yes, we'll take you guys? So one, they care a lot about team dynamics, and we knew each other for many years. They really liked the team already. We also met with a lot of other YC founders prior to our interview, so they kind of vouched for us. And then the idea at the time, Groupon, imagine, was the hottest, fastest growing company at the time. So when we pitched them that there is an angle where you can be more narrow focused, and most people don't care about all the deals you get, but food specifically is the biggest category. If you have a company that is fully focused on food, here's the traction of one week. Here's our traction. We're growing like 40% week over week in our user base and revenue base. Like YC kind of saw the numbers and took a leap of faith with us. We did notice that startups usually do things that don't scale in the beginning. And I read that the first nine months, you're head of dispatch. The customer support line was actually your cell phone. I can't imagine what that experience would be like. How many phone calls did you get? Like, was it kind of crazy in the beginning? Yeah, like at least 50 a day. And eventually we took off my cell phone and changed it to, we use a service called Grasshopper, which you can add multiple cell phones. So then my co-founders also got phone calls. There were just five of us in the beginning. So we literally had to build everything. We weren't funded. We were bootstrapped for the first nine months. We didn't take any investor money. We sold the Munch on Me business and a small amount of funds from that kind of helped kickstart Caviar and that was it. A lot of our listeners might be interested in kind of the journey leading up to the acquisition with Square. What was that initial journey like? What was going in your mind? So we started Caviar May of 2012. And the acquisition, they first approached us exactly two years after that. Three months later, the deal closed and we announced the acquisition on August 1st, 2014. When we got acquired, I believe our team was around 40 to 45 people. And there were just four engineers. Wow. wow. Yeah. Do you guys use freelancers? We did for some of our projects simply because our business was growing faster in our tech. Just a few months before the acquisition, we actually didn't have an app for our drivers. So when we got an order, 
we had to call the driver. Should call them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we literally called her, texted the driver, and said, "Hey, can you go to this address and pick up this?" And they would have to literally load this page, and then they can get the details of the order. I can't imagine there could be a lot of mistakes that can happen just like yeah. over the phone and mistakenly say something different, and literally the address would be different if you say it incorrectly. Yeah. It could happen all the time in restaurants. There was no merchant app, so sometimes we had to read the order line by line to the restaurant, and they would make it. And the driver would have to go in and then kind of count the items and make sure everything was there. So we had to build products for the consumer side, so what they see and what they can you know, go through as a customer, and also for drivers and also for the restaurants. We only had four engineers and only two engineers for the first year and like a few months. Mm -hmm. So we were wow. working very lean for a long time. So Square approached Caviar. Or did Caviar approach? Square? Yeah, so the way it happened, we get an email one day from one of our longtime customers. He was an entrepreneur as well. He kind of ended his business and he went to go work for Square. I think Square at the time was looking for a, a buyer product. They wanted to look at another buyer product and wanted a way to get into restaurants. And delivery was really taking off as a way to directly drive revenue to these restaurants and small businesses. So we get an email one day. From he's now he was like one of the marketing leads at Square, and wanted to just meet up. So I remember he said, "You're sure? Why not? You're one of our top customers. Come over to our office." So we chatted, and then he brings on one of the product leads at Square. So we chat. We didn't know what we we're getting ourselves into, but they wanted to discuss partnership. Is there a way they can work together? Both talks led to another. So we went into Square and. Jack. What was going through your mind when they said, hey, you know what, let's actually continue the conversations and we'll bring Jack Dorsey in? Then I kind of knew, like, something is up. I remember a couple weeks later, flew to Boston. Then it became pretty clear. So we signed a letter of intent, and that led into a three-month due diligence process where at any point both parties can pull out. It's not an obligation. Mm -hmm. During those three months, you know, we had to continue growing the business at the same time, keep everything on the down low. What percentage of your company would even have an uh, inkling or hint or know about this? Just the founders. But then I believe in the last couple of weeks, TechCrunch leaked an article and then everyone was talking about it. Like this was two weeks before the deal was supposed to close. How's employee morale at that point in time? Interesting. Uh, no one knew what was going on. We just kept going. I told everyone, like, just keep building the business. And whatever happens, we're going to keep your best interests in mind. Were you for the acquisition? So the whole time, we're always going back and forth. Like we've only been around two years. We just raised our Series A end of March. So we just had a fresh round of funding, $13 million Series A from Tiger Global. And we haven't spent any of it yet. We just started hiring more people and you know, getting an engineering pipeline out. But during the three months, we really got to learn more about Square, their vision, their team, how can they help Caviar grow and the resources that they had. And it seemed to be a, a great fit. At the end of the three months, we decided to, to move forward. What's the decision-making process? Should we get acquired or should we kind of run on its own? What's the vision between option A, B, or maybe the C and D? For us, one thing we really needed help with was engineering resources. We only have four engineers. And Square's strength is their engineering. Immediately, they brought on more than a dozen engineering to our offices to beef up our product. 
that kind of saved us. I mean, our, our business was growing so fast that we were two to three months away from like not being able to keep up. Everything was still manual. We still had manual dispatch. And the dispatchers literally cannot keep up with as manually assigning orders anymore because we were just getting too many orders for a human to, to do without a computer to help you. So that was really slowing down the business. And also the resources that Square was willing to provide and kind of help grow our business. It all came together uh, quite well. What was keeping you up at night? Can we continue growing while getting distracted with an acquisition? Because that kind of takes up a lot of the founders' times. Because we had to continue growing the business, but at the same time we're getting them data that they need or doing interviews with them, etc. Could the employees smell it? Yeah, a couple key people had to know, like our finance guy. Providing all these decks and numbers. Yeah, and we all needed numbers. And uh, you know, it's like, why am I doing this? So I'm like, well, here's what's happening. We like to switch the conversation to focus a little bit more on being Asian American. Do you think being Asian American throughout the whole entire process has helped you? Yeah, I think being Asian American, at least initially, that's, I mean, all, all the founding team, we were Asian American. That's how we kind of met each other part of the Asian American fraternity on campus. And it just so happens that because the founding team was Asian American, our first more than dozen or so hires happened to be Asian American, not because we were only looking for Asian Americans, because our network, people we knew were Asian American. The company kind of just grew up that way. It kind of had its own vibe and culture because of that. At a certain point, we saw that everyone was male and Asian. So our hiring then became more female and more diverse. Did people say anything? Oh yeah, our early hires. They're like, how come there's no women at this office? Why everyone's Asian? The past two years you've been in venture capital. We'd love to hear more about the experience. How did you think about entering the industry? So right after acquisition, the founders and I, we got together and we pulled together some funds and we started our own little fund called Beluga Capital. Beluga being good caviar. So we wanted to help other entrepreneurs because we've been through it, we've seen it. We've seen it from like just being five people in a room with no funding all the way to acquisition and then seeing the company that we had acquired go through an IPO. And so we think we can provide value to entrepreneurs who are doing it today, especially at the early stages. And so it's always fascinated us to continue to be part of the entrepreneurial community and give back. As for myself, one of our seed investors, Iron Fire Capital, gave me an opportunity to become a venture partner. How have those conversations been? What, what has been the most impactful experience that you've been able to provide? Getting them to focus on the, the right things in the beginning. A lot of them are trying to do too many things at once. And as an early stage company, focus is, is key. And getting them to explain their company better so they can pitch investors, how to pitch investors, it's, it's key. I think a lot of our listeners might be thinking about whether they want to be an operator or investor, and having been a little bit of both, which one would you say you like more? Right, having been an operator for five years, an entrepreneur, definitely it's, it's different, it depends on what type of personality you want to be. Just because I'm on the investor side doesn't mean I won't go back into being an operator. If I find the right idea, or a team that's hungry again to work on something we all really care about, then, We'll, be, we'll go back and be an operator. But right now, it's just interesting to see all these startups and ideas and being able to invest in them and help them grow. What would you say are different personality traits of each of the roles? 
be an operator. I think when we were getting started, just giving up 100% of everything, your time, your capital, your resources, what you're thinking about day to day, if you're able to do that, then go and be an operator because then your chances of success are much higher. But if you have so many other things going on, you want a good lifestyle where you can have a lot of free time and do a lot of things, then on the Besser side, definitely it provides that opportunity. What is your secret sauce? Meaning, what makes you unique? What has really been the factor that has driven you to um, where you are now? So a lot of people say, you know, it's okay to fail, but my mindset is, do not fail, whatever it takes. <laughs> Would you say that's being Asian American, you don't like to fail? Yeah, like we, we thought it was never okay. That was our motto, yeah. at Munch on Me and then Transition to Caviar. We could have just said, oh, you know, give up and we just go back and get jobs mm. or do something else. But the mindset was we already dug ourselves too deep and we cannot fail. We have to come out of this and succeed. That's kind of our mindset that kind of helped us get through some very tough times. So I know it's a lot of, it's contrary to a lot of beliefs in Silicon Valley, but that's kind of the way we operated. And what is your um, actual favorite sauce, like food-wise? I love tacos. Tacos, something you eat all the time, it's cheap. A lot of the taco component is a sauce, like a hot sauce. Different, just, you know, when you go to a taco stand, they have the, the mild guacamole, and then they get spicier and spicier. That was awesome listening to Jason Wing. I'm definitely hungry now. Wilson, are you? I'm um, starving. <laughs> I'm going to download the app Caviar right now in the App Store and order some food from a restaurant. If you are interested too, check out the App Store and download Caviar. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce. For a sneak peek of upcoming speakers or special surprises, follow us on Twitter at Fish Sauce Pod or like us on Facebook at Fish Sauce Podcast. If this episode or the Fish Sauce mission connects with you or others, please leave us a review on our iTunes page. We can't wait to welcome you and all your friends into our Fish Sauce family. And big shout out to our editor, Christian Edwards, for making us sound much better than we actually are in every episode of Fish Sauce.